Welcome to the Friends with the Bible podcast, where we get to know the Bible and each other better. My name is Christine and I'm your host. I like to take my time digging into the Bible and sharing what I've learned with my friends, which is what this podcast is all about. Friends, we have finally made it to session six, which is the conclusion of our study on Habakkuk, yet I will rejoice. I hope that you've learned some things about yourself and about God that you can use in your everyday life, in your spiritual walk, and in ways that will help you to connect with the people around you better. I think that this is such a wonderful study to learn about the character and nature of God and about ourselves. So let's go ahead and dig into the conclusion on Habakkuk. Not long after the last writings of Habakkuk, The kingdom of Judah is about to go into a silent period. God, of course, was still active, and he hadn't abandoned his people, but they were left in a period of waiting and waiting and waiting for the prophecies about the coming Messiah to be fulfilled. It's in this time period, while they're in exile, that these righteous people that belong to God start focusing heavily on obedience to the law and to tradition. By their logic, lawlessness was what got them into the trouble of being exiled, so a lot more strict laws should be their salvation. The lessons that they learned from the exile were received, but they still missed the heart of all of God's commands, which are to love God and to love one another wholly. It wasn't the lack of laws that was the problem in the first place. The primary problem was the lack of love for God and for one another. Outside influences made their way into this culture, which weave their way in and out of political power, which is what gives birth to groups like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Zealots and the Essenes, which you'll see in the New Testament. These groups will eventually play a role in the New Testament narrative about the importance of obedience to the law above all else. Jesus eventually comes and reminds everyone, Jew and Gentile, that we are not right with God because of our lawfulness, because of our ability to follow the law, but because of our faith. Remember, the righteous are saved by faith. We spent a lot of time talking about the Babylonians or the Chaldeans. Remember, they're the same people. They've always been in our peripheral vision throughout the biblical narrative. At the Tower of Babel, the Babylonians were there as the tower was dedicated to their god, Marduk. Abram was called out of the Chaldeans into a covenant relationship with God. Here in Habakkuk, we see Judah about to go into captivity to the Babylonians. Remember Job when all that tragedy rained down on him? Guess who was there? The Chaldeans, who later become the Babylonians, making things worse for Job. They killed all of Job's servants and stole all of his camels. We get a close-up look at the Babylonians and their king in, in the book of Daniel. It's speculated that the wise men from the east that came to visit baby Jesus might have been from Babylon because they were known for keeping very detailed astrological records. They were the guys keeping their eyes on the stars. There's mentions of Babylon in Revelation, especially in chapters 17 and 18. Throughout the Bible, there's this ongoing parallel relationship between God's people and the Babylonians. It's common to hear people today speak of the Babylonians as if they're a wicked enemy that we should fear or avoid. 
but they're our neighbors. It's true that they're not the same as God's children. It appears that if Judah is in, then Babylon is out. If Judah is God's child, Babylon is an orphan. If Judah is unleavened holy bread, Babylon is a loaf of moldy wonder bread. Everything that Judah is, Babylon is not. But they're not the enemy. We're going to see in the book of Daniel and in Jeremiah that God extends his invitation to Babylon to join his flock. We see God giving Daniel the ability to interpret the dreams of Babylon's king and in the process reveal the power and holiness of God to which the king's knee bows. You can read about that in Daniel chapters 4 and 5. He speaks through Jeremiah and says that the people of Judah who are exiled in Babylon are to settle down in Babylon, to plant vineyards, and to seek the prosperity of the Babylonians because the prosperity of Babylon is tied to the prosperity of Judah. And you can read about that in Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 4 through 8. This is not a relationship of enmity. These are not enemies here. This is one with a hand extended in invitation, cooperation, and mutual vulnerability. It's an invitation for the Babylonians to lay down their Babylonian ways and to become God's children, to cooperate in the purpose of glorifying God and to be vulnerable to a God who is a good, good father and who is the only one fully worthy of trust. So why is it that God has kept Babylon in the story this whole time? And how should we interpret the story of the Babylonians throughout the biblical narrative? What is it that the Babylonians have to do with us as Christians? If we think about the relationship between God's children and the Babylonians, it starts out sort of like the relationship between Pippi Longstocking and her neighbor children, if you're old enough to remember that story. If you can, imagine little Pippi with her braids being the Babylonians, living without the loving guidance or discipline of parents, and living exactly the way you'd expect a child without parents to live, with no rules, no chores, no teeth brushing. And the neighbor children are sort of like Judah. They're surprised and sometimes aghast at the way their neighbor lives. Pippi is given lots of opportunities to be taken in by foster parents who are going to care for her, which she refuses and then expertly and sometimes comedically avoids because she believes that her pirate father is coming back for her and that he loves her and he'll be a good father to her. In the same way, we see God both condemning and calling out to Babylon here. Pippi's way of doing things just isn't going to work. And God has something better if she'll just accept the offer. Habakkuk is about telling the Babylonians the same thing. Your behavior in your living situation is not okay. It's not going to turn out okay for you in the long run if you continue like this. But I have something better for you if you'll take it, which is to stop being so Babylonian and be God's children. So as we've seen Babylon woven throughout the biblical narrative, by the time we get to Revelation, the tone about them changes. For those Babylonians that have refused, by the time we get to Revelation, we see strong condemnation for them, even more so than we saw here in Habakkuk. If we take a look at Jeremiah chapter 50, verses 8 through 17, you can see some of what God means about this. I'm reading from the ESV. Starting in verse 8, it says, Flee from the midst of Babylon, and go out of the land of the Chaldeans, and be as male goats before the flock. 
For behold, I am stirring up and bringing against Babylon a gathering of great nations from the north country. Here he's talking about the Medo-Persians that are going to take over eventually. Continuing in this verse 9, it says, And they shall array themselves against her, for there she shall be taken. Their arrows are like a skilled warrior who does not return empty-handed. Chaldea shall be plundered. All who plunder her shall be sated, declares the Lord. Though you rejoice, though you exult, O plunderers of my heritage, though you frolic like a heifer in the pasture and neigh like stallions, your mother shall be utterly shamed, and she who bore you shall be disgraced. Behold, she shall be the last of the nations, a wilderness, a dry land, a desert. Because of the wrath of the Lord, she shall not be inhabited, but shall be in utter desolation. Everyone who passes by Babylon shall be appalled and hiss because of all her wounds. Set yourselves in array against Babylon all around, all you who bend the bow. Shoot at her, spare no arrows, for she has sinned against the Lord. Raise a shout against her all around. She has surrendered. Her bulwarks have fallen, her walls are thrown down. For this is the vengeance of the Lord. Take vengeance on her, do to her as she has done. Cut off from Babylon the sower and the one who handles the sickle in the time of harvest. Because of the sword of the oppressor, everyone shall turn to his own people, and every one shall flee to his own land. And verse 17 says, Israel is a hunted sheep driven away by lions. First the king of Assyria devoured him, and now at last Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has gnawed his bones. These Babylonians are the ones who repeatedly refused and avoided God's offer for salvation. And in Revelation, these are the ones who repeatedly refused and avoided God's offer for salvation and for something different, something better than the sin they were already dying in, hoping for a non-existent loving father to show up and act like their dad. Because they did not take up the offer given to them, their hearts are hardened and they're left to die in their sin, just as they asked and chose. The Babylonians are the unsaved people all around us, everywhere. The people who don't know about the goodness of God, the ones that Jesus talked about when he said to tell all the nations about him and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The people who you and I are commissioned to share the good news with. It's not God's will that anyone should die in their sin. That's from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. And it's God's desire that the offer be extended to everyone. What God wanted the Babylonians to have a front row seat to see while Judah was in exile is that Judah is his child. God loves his child. He disciplines his child but he also shows great favor to his child and takes good care of his child and gives good gifts to his child. He does not allow his anger to burn forever when they go astray. He forgives. He shows grace. He restores. And because of that, despite the pain of Judah's own sin, Judah will rejoice. Because that's what the God of Israel and Judah does. He brings us to grieve over our own sin and the sin of the world around us. He disciplines with love, and He lovingly corrects and restores us 
puts our broken hearts back together and makes us stronger than we were before. He gives us peace where there should be no peace. So for all of that, we will rejoice. The book of Habakkuk serves as both a warning and an invitation to Babylon and to all of those who do not belong to God. There's still hope. So for that, I will rejoice. In Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17, 18, and 19, it says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. So even though we might lose everything precious to us, we will never lose God. He is the God of our salvation. He is our strength. He makes us tread on high places. And so for that, yet, I will rejoice. I want to say a big thank you to everyone who has stayed with me through this whole study. I know it's hard in general to just finish a Bible study, and if you've made it this far, I'm just applauding you and cheering you on and thanking you. It has been a big passion project of mine to complete this first podcast, and I'm so glad that you got to be a part of it. I hope that you'll join me for the next study that I'm going to do. I am right now researching a study on Hosea. It is going to be pretty intensive and quite a bit longer than this, but I think it's going to be really interesting and something that you're absolutely going to love. I hope that you will join me for our next season when we do a study together on Hosea. In the meantime, don't forget that there are discussion questions for this conclusion, and I hope to see you for the next time around. Thank you so much for joining me today. Take care and God bless.